0: Hey, everyone, before we get into our interview today, we just want to thank a few of our sponsors. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Jackson Labs, the brand consultants that we trust to get our brand going in the right direction, and the brand consultants you should use to do the same. We've been using them since day one, and they have us absolutely dialed in. Go check them out at jacksonlabs.com. That's J-A-X-O-N. This podcast is also brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade Golf. They've been hooking us up all season long with their new lineup of Sim 2 and Sim 2 Max drivers, fairy woods, rescues, irons, whatever you need to get your game dialed. TaylorMade's got it. While you're getting that new Sim 2 product of yours, make sure to get it fit. The TaylorMade fitting system is next to none. And while you're getting that driver fitting, why don't you take a look at the My Sim 2? You can choose from hundreds of different color combinations to deck out your driver, including your shaft, grip, Everything that you want to make it the MySim 2. Our guest today is a revolutionary man in the game, founder and creator of Adams Golf, Mr. Barney Adams. Barney takes us through the inception of Adams and how the product and brand exploded in such a short time. He talks about the struggles of competing against the big four OEMs and what the vision was for Adams. We get into Barney's introduction into golf and how his entrepreneurial spirit and passion for the game helped propel his path in life. We talk about the modern game and get his takes on some of the more pressing topics at hand, including distance and modern fitting techniques. So let's get into it with Barney Adams.
1: Welcome to the 4Jack Podcast.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show um big show today for us uh we're going deep into really the history of one of the major manufacturers and really just history of golf and certain clubs that i'm sure that everyone most people play with in their bags but um well we're going to give you the reason why those existed in your bags uh, before we get into our guest today let's just say hello to the boys as usual let's go to east first david how
1: are you sir very good guys excited about our next guest it's always great to meet entrepreneurs someone that my in my mind really pioneered a lot of things in golf, and uh, you know, just in our little intro to get to know each other, very interesting, very excited, and uh, pretty excited to dive into our next guest. So, mm-hmm. all is well out here, though. Beautiful, Tombo. How you doing? Doing good, bud. Just
2: yeah, excited as David is to be here right now with you boys, getting ready to dive into this next guest in the little pregame banter. He was bringing the fire already, so
3: <laughs> I think we're in for a treat.
0: Last but not least, Mr.
2: Parkinson.
3: I'm great, man. I would have to say we've been uh, back and forth battling to get this guest on the show. We were very, very fortunate to uh, have the BGT golf experience, so we're dropping a little foreshadowing here. But more importantly, we share a commonality with this next guest, and I don't know if I should drop this right now on this show, but it's not coming out before tomorrow. So I think we're good. We are the fortunate recipients, just found out today of the Arv Olsen Media Personnel of the Year Award from the PGA of BC. Woo! So that's huge. And our next guest is an award winner, so let's get into it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Love well, it. That is exciting for all of us, but we're going to get into our guest first before we talk about our accolades. The founder of Adams Golf and really the inventor of the tight Lies fairy Wood, Mr. Barney Adams. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Still up. I'm still upright. That's my standard. <laughs> that's our goal, too. So uh, we... we uh, we second that motion where, where okay. are you sitting at right now? You look like you have a uh, quite the interesting place that you're uh, a Yeah, at.
4: I, I have a, uh, a house here at Pine Valley and I'm sitting in the living room. Oh, lovely. Pine
3: Valley, not a bad place to be hanging out right
4: now. No, no, it's, it's, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond fortunate to be here, but that's another story.
0: There you go. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, yeah. Obviously, like we said off air, we thank you for jumping on with us and kind of giving us a little insight into, well, Adams. I mean, the namesake, but history of kind of a golf club that that took over golf. I mean, it seems like everybody in their dog has a hybrid or some sort of utility club in their bag, and you know, we're just looking forward to the the backstory on it all and how you
2: ended up in Pine Valley. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs>
4: That's another, that's, that would take too long. Uh, the back story is uh, back in the, when I started, the late 80s, around 1990, I, I custom fit. And in those days, there were nobody custom fit to speak of. Uh, they had some uh, folks that made clubs uh, like sort of one at a time. They were They were craftsmen, so to speak, but it wasn't a, a custom fitting operation, anything close to what's going on today. And then, having a technical background, the custom fitting process for me was a way to gather data, which I did. You know what what works, what doesn't work, where where can you help people the most, and so on and so forth. And in that, it became obvious that the the first and most important area was for the long side, what I call the long second shot. Uh, it. it I, I looked at stuff quite a bit differently than other people did because I looked at different environments. Like one environment for me was ball on tee. So when, if I'm making a design for a ball on tee, that's a specific environment. If if it's ball on ground, then I, it, I forget the ball on tee design and start over again and do a design for ball on ground. So I had people try to hit the ball off the ground uh, as far as they could, depending on their swing speeds and so on. And my clubs were terrible. They, people didn't hit them worth a darn. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, gee whiz, Bart. And I, and I went around uh, the local shops and stores, et cetera, and looked at other manufacturers' products, and theirs weren't any better. And back at that era, uh, clubs, the way the clubs were designed, they designed drivers, and then they had a, like a three, five, and seven woods, which are like mini drivers. And the idea was to get the people to buy a set of woods, which which is pretty normal in those days, but not very uh, common today. And designing a, I mean, having fairway woods that looked like a ball on tea club just didn't work. So with that, and I watched people and I worked with them and so on. One night, uh, and I worked at this uh, uh, fitting ranch, and I worked in, I mean, this golf ranch, and I worked there in the afternoons but from about 2 till 10 o'clock at night, way a little shop that I went to in the mornings. And instead of going home, I went back to the shop and just sat there, and, and the, the ideas and thoughts that I accumulated just kind of came out. I don't know how to say it any other way, but I, I could visualize a club making contact with a golf ball to get up in the air that would make my customers happy. And the club was, frankly, was by the standards of that era, a weird-looking design, but I didn't care. I wanted it to perform. That was the key. And as I was literally sketching it out on a pad, and that's how it was done. There was no fancy computer work or anything like this. It was a hand sketch. The words, tight lies, popped up. And I guess it's because I was thinking about having the ball on a tight lie and wanting to get it up in the air. I don't know, but the, 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 the words just came. I sent up the sketch to a, a source in Taiwan that I knew that made clubs. And they immediately sent me back, a fact, saying, you sure you want to do something like this? You know, this is not normal. And I said, yeah, this is what I want to do. So a couple months go by different world in those days. It was a lot slower and I get a, a box of club heads, take them back to where I was cutting, fitting, custom fitting, and they work great. They did just what I wanted it to do. So in my mind, it was over. I had done what I wanted to do. I had a better club to custom fit with life goes on, except that the phone starts to ring and our phone never rang. Cause we were nobody. Yeah, I was playing with this guy the other day. And he hit this club, this tight, whatever it is, and he can't hit them that good. I got to get me one of those, and you know, variations of that theme. And and slowly the club took on a life of its own. And then we got to a point where, we were, remember, we were a little company with zero money. Uh, we had to come up with a way to get the message out, so to speak. And one of my customers did TV infomercials. And I did not know what an infomercial was. And he showed me and. Uh, we put together a package to do, and to do an infomercial, and it was about, I think it was $250,000, 300000 bucks. and we had a small group of investors, and I sat down with them, and I said, look, this is what it's going to cost. I really think this would be a way for us to get out of the gutter, so to speak, and get in the game. Obviously, I don't have any money, so I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the company all of it, if you'll put up the money. And then here's some ground rules that if we accomplish these ground rules, I can earn back a, you know, percentage and so on and so forth. And they said, are you crazy? And I said, no, I don't think so. But, you know, I'm just telling you the way it is. You know, I believe in this, and this is how I show you how I believe in it. They put up the money, they made the show, it became the largest golf infomercial in history. And what it did for us was not so much sell on television, but it got the marketplace interested, the retail marketplace, which wouldn't give us the time of day before that. And so now we, you know, you build on that. You've got retailers that are willing to talk to you. Now you can hire a salesman because they've actually got a customer that will talk to them and so on. And we grew from that. And uh, the tight lies itself. We sold well over a million of them um, It led to other products and the growth of the company and the rest is history.
3: Okay. Hang on a sec. Let's, let's just rewind a little bit here. So the club heads come from Asia. Okay. We got something here. Are we putting this out to friends and family? Or are we just taking it to a local club and letting guys hit it on the range? Or what, what was that evolution?
4: Well, I was yeah, I was a club fitter, so I had a built in audience. Okay? Oh, okay. So I, I shafted them up and I, You know, when, when I was club fitting guy, I said, let's, let's try this for your sec, you know, for your long second shots. And the, the response was almost universal, man, can I, can I, can I get one of these,
1: forget the custom
4: fitting part? (laughs) I just, can I have this one type of thing? So I got a very, very good response. So there there was no question about the fact that it worked, but golf, by the way, is not a product business. Golf is a marketing business Mm -hmm. and. I did not have the assets to market a product. So it became a whole new challenge. It was just a a, a very, very difficult period of time to take that one product and turn it into a, a, a marketing success, if you will.
2: Yeah, turning it into a business that you can like build and grow on that. I would be going back to how you wanted to structure that deal and you're like, hey, I'm willing to just give up all the company was – you're thinking that like you believe that you're going to hit this. So you'll get back that piece of it. Or was it, even if this grows without me, at least I was involved in like it's early success. And like, I'm just proud to be there. Like, what was that thinking? Like,
4: nah, no, no proud stuff. I mean, it was, it was, it was my way of saying, I don't have the money, but I got this. Mm-hmm. So I'll trade you this for the money. And if
0: it
3: works, we both win. Cool. Yeah, I love that.
0: It, it kind of seems like you were, I mean, with the model that you took and, Obviously, the evolution of how it all transpired was you were kind of the first club company to really take on the marketing plan, like really push that forward. I mean, you see that nowadays where like TaylorMade, Titleist and all Callaway, and all these brands are really just becoming marketing agencies. And you kind of went at that first going straight into the commercial. It must make you kind of sick now to even think of like people making these commercials with a camera and two other people and can just put it on YouTube for nothing.
4: Well, yes and no. The, the, the youtubers the the people selling on tv today that's at best maybe one step removed from a hobby that's not in the business the business is the people that are running the expensive ads that are on when the golf tournament is on and so on and so forth and are selling their products at pro shop or at retail mm-hmm. that's the golf business if the the four leading companies in golf <clears throat> are Ping, Titleist, Callaway and TaylorMade, 40 years ago, it was the same four. Mm-hmm. That just tells you how tough the business is. I get people come to me, you know, fairly often with, with very good product ideas. I said, I don't care. You know, unless you've got a, about a $25 million kitty that you can afford to jump into the marketing game. You're wasting your money. And I've seen lots of them say, oh, you jerk, you don't know what you're talking about, and they jump in, and guess what? They get killed. Now, some of them are selling on television, but, I, I, but that's not a real successful business. It's it's better than it used to be because online sales are more accepted now than they were, say, you know, several years ago, but it's, it's still – Eighty percent of the market is still with those four companies. So you're fighting for scraps in the twenty percent range.
3: Barney, how do you go from the initial mm-hmm. orders being the guy that's shafting clubs to evolving the company? Like, oh my God, we got to have a factory now. We got to fulfill orders. We got to manage logistics. We got to, you know, procure the supply chain. How did that evolution kind of? Uh, how is yeah. it digested?
4: So, great question. I, I actually end up writing a book on it. As a matter of fact. Yeah. Our, sa- our sales went from, well, they were, you know, scrap at the beginning, and then we kind of built them up to a, maybe a million and a half, two million as, as, as the product started taking a hold. And within three years, we were 100 million.
3: And that's back in that, the day, though. That's not like 2020. That's that's years no. ago, correct? That's that, mid-90s, this is,
4: correct? This is Yeah, the mid-90s. That's correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't do that you don't do that efficiently and you don't do that well that's that's too much too fast a
3: lot that's of chaos. that's <laughs>
4: too, too many key people you have to hire uh, but, i mean we had a shop i think our shop was 1500 square feet We're at the beginning where we assembled some clubs and so on and so forth and we ended up with with uh, a, like 180,000 square feet in two buildings <laughs> i mean it was it was insanity the whole it was it it was just a lot of people couldn't handle it. A lot of people that I had working for me, good people, friends of mine, nice people, and so on. When we, uh, uh, you know, experienced this kind of growth, they packed it in. It, 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 it's going to drive me nuts. This is crazy stuff. You can't do this. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, we well, did well, it. I, I was the biggest nut, and I just hung in there
1: where it was this location where were we located at that time Were you guys still in syracuse yeah. upstate new york you were
4: no yeah. no no we were in we were in uh, richardson texas which is an adjunct to dallas texas
1: got it okay well, wasn't sure if it was I don't, I
4: don't know, syracuse but i gotta never stop snowing there it makes you guys look like the it makes you guys look like the bahamas syracuse <laughs> where i grew up where i grew up we averaged 136 inches of snow a winter
3: yikes that's okay because when think- we grew up, we
0: used to be the coldest place on the planet on the regular year. <laughs> well, yeah. When next.
4: I was a when I was a freshman at Clarkson I went down to 47 below zero. Yeah,
0: oh we know that very well.
3: Yeah. That's, that's, we had uh, I forgot
4: several Canadian friends of mine went home to Canada. They said, We're not gonna live in this weather. You're gonna be crazy <laughs> to live in a place <laughs> like this.
2: And then there's true Pace, story. there's pays and I who one day it was like minus 35 out. We decided to go take a tennis ball in our golf clubs and, and play a little urban golf, trying yeah. to hit, hit shots into basketball nets. We were just itching, right? Like that's yeah. what it's like to live in that climate and love golf. It's well, like you're crazy.
4: My my roommate and I, we, we concocted the perfect murder weapon because we put a towel out, a wet towel out at night. And we brought it in the next morning and you could have killed somebody with it. It was frozen solid. (laughs) Then, of course, after it defrosts, there's no murder weapon. So, you know, you walk. What the heck?
3: There you go.
0: (laughs) So so to go back to your earlier point with regards to other club manufacturers kind of disappearing in that space, I mean, you look at companies even like Nike. I mean, even they didn't want to hang on to that industry. Like it was just too much to produce those clubs and too much personnel, too many moving parts. And it's incredible to think that, like you said, to battle up against those four main manufacturers, like, how did Adams do that so well, especially in that hot stretch, like you said, from the mid-90s to really, like, even early 2000s, like, when guys like Tom Watson were getting involved, and it really became something really special. Yeah, I started to get some staffers on, and when the idea, or hybrids came out, and it became
3: big. Yeah,
4: I did. I mean, we... I'd like to tell you that we, we, you know, we had this brilliant magic formula that we followed very closely but that would not be true uh, we did one thing that we did do uh, it's funny i was just asked about this today uh you'll see other companies I've, i could name you two or three other companies that got off to a good start and then they expanded so they're now they've got shoes or they've got balls or they got shirts or whatever and we were approached by all those people, all those manufacturers. You know, how would you like to have an Adams line of shoes? How'd you like to have an Adams golf ball, or whatever the deal was? And we said, no, we're club people, and that's all we do is golf clubs. And that was a very important decision. Uh, that's one of the, that's one of the things that killed Nike. As a matter of fact, Nike had their sales force selling shoes and clubs. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that. Right. That's it. that's, that's a, when I, Once I heard that, I said, well, they're done. They're over with
2: spreading because, themselves too thin yeah
4: well yeah it's it's two different buying cycles so you have to go back to the same place a couple of times to sell you know two different products which is completely inefficient Salespeople, by by nature take the past the least resistance so guess what the least resistance was it was the shoes so they sold shoes the clubs were like oh yeah we got clubs if you want some i'll, I'll show them to you if you don't have to it wasn't going to work I knew it wasn't going to work Yeah, our guys, our guys, or even the salespeople we hired were equipment guys. You know, we were kind of fanatics about equipment and that was a good decision.
3: Hard to defer from the brand presence that Nike has as an athletic apparel slash shoe company rather than, oh, we're into golf clubs. We're going to do, you know, canoes and basketballs and all this other stuff. (laughs) I got to say, though, Barney, we share all of us actually share a passion for golf. Obviously, it started early. You, I believe, got your start or introduction into golf via caddying. Is that true?
4: Day one, yeah. I mean, that was long. You guys weren't around then. I got news for you. This would have been in the early 50s. Yeah. And I caddied. And I also worked at a golf course. And as a matter of fact, I, one of the jobs I had, and I was like, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, something like that at a, at a golf course. And I was in charge of taking the bringing the carts in the hand hand carts. They didn't have electric carts in those days uh, with clubs in them, putting them in the underground area where they were safe and so on and cleaning the clubs uh, as part of the service for the members and cleaning the clubs. I remember this clearly. The long irons were always clean. And I can remember thinking, why are these people spending money for these clubs if they don't use them? And that had a lot to do with my thinking as, as when I got more and more involved in the business, because that's where the that's where the mixed hybrids and so on came from. Hybrids you could hit and work. The long irons, you know, what one point one of percent of the people who played could actually hit the darn things. So and I, and that experience, just being around golf and and observing, and and as I look back on it. <clears throat> I guess I was a lot more interested than I realized I was at the time because I remember all that stuff.
3: Well, I would say back in that day, everybody had a set of blades in their bag. Most people probably carried a two or a three iron. But the important thing is, and what I've always wanted to know is, what did they feed the dinosaurs back then?
2: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Shot in the
3: dark. Canadians.
2: We fed them Canadians. (laughs) 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 Be careful. You You still got a few other fans. We got got some blubber (laughs) on us. and keeps them warm. Uh, it's, It's actually funny that just hearing you talk about your early days, noticing that long iron thing that nobody was using it. And then how that kind of just became something you thought about till eventually one day you're working as a club fitter. And I luckily had the pleasure of getting to know Alice Cooper pretty well when I spent some time in Phoenix and and he was like the biggest proponent of hybrids. He's like, I don't even want to hit irons anymore. I'd rather just hit a hybrid. Like every club, give me a nine. He used to call
4: me. He used to call me all the time.
2: Did he? And were you kind of like,
4: he was, it was a club nut.
2: That's very cool to hear. Was he helping uh guide you on some of the hybrid talk knowing that he is a huge fan of them?
4: Not so much, but he just you know, frankly, I mean a nice person and so on, but what they really want that we could, there were several like that. They wanted something that would help them. So, you know, what 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 do you have for new hybrids? What do you have, you know, how far do you go? Do you get onto the six iron or whatever? But he was just interested, that's all.
3: That's cool. What else can you do when school's out for summer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call Barney that, and talk to today. Is that good?
1: So no, I, I have a little comments. little interesting story that I dug up, and uh, I think you'll find it kind of interesting, because it's someone that I think you spent some time with. But I was fortunate enough, I'm going to say, in 96 or 97 to replace my Titleist 905 with one of your tight lies. And at that time, they were extremely hard to get. And I was for, very fortunate to get it from a guest by the name of Nick Westlock, who got it from a gentleman by the name of Mo Norman. Mo Norman, yep. And, you know, at that time I was maybe, I think I was 15 or 16, playing pretty good golf. The club I belonged to, I was fortunate to grow up at. You know, Mo and Nick would play every Wednesday at the same time. You know, they do the same thing. And one day Mr. Westlock came up to me and said, you know, here's a hybrid, try it. It's the newest thing in golf. And I obviously saw the commercials and all that stuff. I couldn't believe what I was hitting. So that was kind of my introduction to the tight lies. And I know you have a few Mo stories and maybe some Nick Westlock stories. And I'd love to dive a little bit because, you know, I was fortunate enough to play probably 30, 40 rounds of golf with both those guys. And, um, you know, pretty fortunate. Not a whole lot of people in the world can say that, I think. So yeah, I hear some of your stuff. So
4: I can remember standing up, Just one thing to come. Standing on the green with Mo, he's got his putter up in the air, and he said, this isn't golf. This isn't golf. You know, he hated to putt. He he used to hang out at a place called uh, Royal Oaks Country Club in Titusville, Florida, which at the time was owned by the Canadian PGA. And he would go down for the winter. And it just so happened that my mom lived on the 12th fairway. She's a little lady. She lived on the 12th fairway. Titusville is about... 40 or so miles from Orlando where the PGA show is was. I guess still is, as far as that goes. Yep. And so I would go down early, stay with my mom uh, before the PGA show, in the early being like, say, three weeks or so. And I'd walk down the fairways to the practice area, and there was Mo. Now, you guys all know the Mo Norman stories, and I won't go into those in detail, but if, if you walked up to Mo and said hello, he'd turn his back on you. He, he was not exactly a chatty, friendly type guy, but he loved hockey. And I, I could speak hockey, so to speak. So I used that as my, my way of, you know, introducing myself and it worked out. And I ended up making his clubs for about five years. Oh, wow. So we ended up to be, you know, as much as you could with Mo. we were friends and I've watched him hit balls a million times. And we used to play nine holes together after work. After in the evening, and he played nine holes, worst ball to shoot power better. And that's hard. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's impossible. A and the uh, I tell people we were together, but I don't think he knew I was there. <laughs> he, he was just doing his thing. And I you know, attest I would, to
1: that.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he I, I will tell you guys this. I've been, I've asked all the time about Mo, how well he hit the ball and so on and so forth. He he was a fantastic ball striker, certainly with a, with a, with a bucket of balls, with a, with a large number of balls. Nobody was better one ball at a time, a little bit different story. Hmm. And my friends, one of whom played the tour and played the Canadian tour, thought that, uh, Newton was a better ball striker than Mo when it came to one ball at a time. Interesting. So pair splitting, but the. And, and I, I didn't, I never played with Newton. I did watch him hit balls. In fact, I can tell you a Knudsen story. Uh, this, again, I forget the year. I can forget everything now, but, you know, early 60s anyway. I went to the White Marsh Invitational in Philadelphia, tour stop. And when I used to, and you know, I'm just a young guy and just, like I, I went down and I went on the practice area. That's the only place I would go was the practice area so I could watch the, the great players. Newton comes down to hit balls. And everybody stops and goes over and watches them. Now, these are the tour players. And I never forgot that. That's how that's how much they thought of his game. They wanted to watch him hit balls. I never got a chance to play with him. I never got a chance to really, you know, examine his game. I have a very close friend who played the tour and played with both Mo and Newton. And he would sit here, and if you were sitting here, he would say that Newton was the better player under tour playing kind of conditions.
3: Pride but here's the
0: so speaking of speaking of tour players, then let's talk about like that um, transition that Adams made into kind of the professional game and say the early two thousands. Like I said, Tom Watson, Sabatini, Badley. Like, what was the, the reaction from these players that were t- that were you know jumping on the Adams bandwagon? Like, were they just like these are ridiculous? Like, especially when the I with the I twos and I threes were coming out, and it was like, or the I, the ideas, sorry, were coming out, and it was like, oh geez, like this is a game changer. Yeah, no, it's it, no, nah, it's about the money.
2: <laughs> yeah, all right, fair enough. I love your honesty. That's <laughs>
0: awesome. I like that. Yeah,
4: I'm sorry, but it is. They, the, these guys could play with anything. You know, Man. they just saw us as a young company and a chance to maybe make a little extra dough. And I, I won't. I have a policy that I don't like to uh, to He's denigrate, in. as it were, there and. You go. There's, there's at least one name among the ones you mentioned that we got rid of in a hurry because he was a pain in the butt and that's why he came with us because nobody else wanted him but uh and it was a watson you know we stayed with watson for a long time But in fact he, he and i have become very very close friends
3: love that any any press sometimes is good press right regardless if it's negative or positive
0: are, are you yeah. are you speaking about the prince of slovakia <laughs> Whoa, whoa. I might be. I okay. You still have the silver medalist. I like yeah. it. The silver yeah. medalist, The Olympians. S- <laughs>
3: sneaky, sneaky That's transition funny. for citizenship. Okay,
2: I do have a question. <clears throat> uh knowing your pragmatic approach to just making money and doing that thing, mm-hmm. like where was it in life where you were like, golf is where I want to be? Or was it just like started out caddying, making a couple bucks there, and it just seemed like the pragmatic approach to life? Or was there a moment where you were just like, you know, what? I truly do love this game. I want to be in it for the long haul.
4: Well, that's why I wrote the book because it's a very long, uh, conflicted, if you will. And so on answer
2: Touche. Uh, quickly, what is the name of the book for our listeners?
4: The wow, w o w factor okay. and the wow factor actually was, it was a term that we used. If we put a club in somebody's hands, we wanted a reaction and said, "Wow, this is really good." And if we didn't get that, we would take another look at the club. Right. wow factor was a was a, a, We think we invented it. We you never invent anything, but anyway, it was a it was a marketing phrase that we used all the time in the company. Interesting. I- as far as as far as you know, pragmatic pragmatic change in life and so on and so forth. I was I was almost. I think I was 49 and a half when I started Adam's golf Mm. and I didn't have two nickels and it got worse than that, which is the story in the book. Um, and as I, as I kind of said before, as I look back on it, it was all, you know, i worked in corporate America. I, 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 I had chances to go in another direction, but, um, once I got started, I just wasn't going to quit. Uh, I mean, I, I can't give you a good answer because it doesn't make any sense. It's fair, just what I did, what what I did was 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 a cross between nuts and stupid. That's <laughs> about you know. In the book, I use the phrase that there's a fine line between entrepreneurism and insanity. And I thought I invented the line, but I didn't. It was i probably read it because it had been printed long before, but that's a very close call because you're you're going to be a nut job to do some of that stuff.
2: Yeah. It comes with a lot of sacrifice for sure. And it's just like the tolerance to actually stick through it when it is shit. And you're like, Oh my goodness. Like how am I going to feed my family type of thing? And then you have to get creative and say, Hey, I will, this company is yours if you're willing to invest in it. Because I believe that like, we're going to make it work and I'll get what I need out of it, which is an amazingly huge risk to take in life. But like, I think looking back on it now, you're probably proud of yourself for taking that leap, right?
4: Another question that I have been asked a lot, and I ask myself, and, and I can tell you the honest answer is I don't think that way. Um, I don't. The, the Probably the only thing that I really think about is that some of the stuff I did, I wouldn't do today. It's just too nuts. <laughs> it just, you know, it just.
3: Well, if the shoe it's, fits. It's
4: crazy. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, Barney, so, let's. Let's. We're leaving Adams now. Adams in a good place. You're not disconnected from the business, but there's more to the story. There's another chapter now. And fast forward a few years, and we have this amazing... Golf shaft technology that's in most putters on tour now. A lot of guys are playing them. A lot of guys are getting an introduction to it, as we did, fortunately. And graciously, thank you for that. That was an awesome experience. A couple guys bought in right away. A couple guys are now uh, playing nothing but and will never go back to anything else. So let's talk about BGT and the technology behind the, the Breakthrough Golf Technology shaft.
4: Stupid decision. Uh, I was retired. Boredom. I, you know. Why, why go back? I'm 80 years old. I mean, come on. You know, it's, it's, but it's the same problem, if you will, or it's the same mentality. Uh, oh, look, here's an opportunity. I think I can do something with this. And I say, I, it's not me. It's, it's a different a, a, a group of us and so team. on. But team. But I, uh, I know, I, I know I bring certain things to the party and it was like, yeah, why not? Why not jump back in? Let's, let's just see what can happen. You're going to be underfinanced. You're going to be all those things you know about. Yeah, I know. But let's just see if we can do it. And so here we are.
3: Talk us through. So we're, the, not, and
4: we're not, and we're not, we're not a success.
3: Well, uh, leaning that way.
4: We got to We got it with we, we, We're not a success because we don't have marketing muscle. And, and as I've said, 83 times, it's a marketing driven business. So we're just kind of flitting around the edges, you know, making inroads here and there, and we'll see what happens.
3: Talk to us a little bit about the tech side of it. What was the you know design process? What did you see that there was a gap in the industry, or what did you see where you could make something existing a little bit better for the average player or for the tour player even?
4: Well, two things. First part was that it, it, it actually became once we got into it. We 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 were looking at some film of the putter going through the putting stroke and approaching the golf ball, and. You could see what was almost like a smudge, but what it was, was the shaft vibrating very, very minor, but if the shaft vibrates, the head vibrates. And that means that the head is not returning to the golf ball square every time. And if you look at any putting manual ever written any place, you've got to have square face to ball contact because nothing else, you know, everything else goes downhill. So the problem became fairly obvious. The fix, however, was a different story. Because you could fix that problem in a heartbeat. You could make the shaft a lot heavier, or you can make the diameter considerably wider. But what those two things do is they they impose significantly different feel in the putting stroke. And the feel is such that it's greater, adjusting to the feel is greater than the problem you're trying to fix in the first place. And you're a loser. And I've seen that before. If you guys remember the heavy putter, for example, many years ago, and there was another one that had extra wide shafts,
1: that shaft but they felt,
4: they felt awful. And mm-hmm. so people don't use them. So the real challenge had to be to make a shaft that is stable, that does not provide any oscillation whatsoever, but make a shaft that has the same weight balance and feel as a steel shaft that was hard that took a couple of years that and that's you? the product that we have today we we, we, we want to we put that shaft in your hands and we want you to be cognizant of the results but not feel like you got to change your putting stroke
3: i gotta say from my perspective not a tour player by any means single digit handicap or around scratch typically anything from eight feet inside even six feet is is almost feels like it's automatic now there's no sort of doubt creeping in it's it's you know you can drop the putter behind the ball and stroke it and you know it's going in the back of the cup you don't have to feel like you you need to manipulate it (laughs) all and i don't know if that's a conscious thing with this shaft or it's the placebo of hey i got something that's better it's going to make me putt better but definitely noticed a difference. David, take it away. I know you're dying to jump in on this.
1: I am reshafting every putter I own. Um, <laughs> I'm going through the process. Probably I think it's the wedge. greatest thing in the world. Um, I might even put, yeah, in my wedges. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, you, they, whoa, whoa, David? Stop.
4: <laughs> yeah, don't, don't. No, 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 no. Just listen to me. Just sit tight on the wedges.
3: <laughs> oh, here hey. we go. Here we go.
1: Yes. <laughs> Oh, I would love to test them. (laughs) Um, As you can see, I'm a little giddy about the product. Um, I feel very excited when I'm over a 10 footer, because as Chris alluded to, I feel like, you know, whatever the look and the feel and just something about it, just, it changed the way I kind of, you know, feel over. Let let me ask you a question. Did,
4: Did you, did you change your putting stroke to adjust to it?
1: I did do, at least mentally, I didn't think about it. It was more just at setup. I think just the way that my eyes kind of, you know, the thicker shaft to the the tapered area, I think it just helped my eyes kind of see the golf ball, which is maybe just my my own. Yeah, I did nothing in my opinion. So, right. And that's, Um,
4: I can't tell you how important that is and how difficult that is because if you got to change your stroke, you know, forget about it. It's not going to work.
3: Yeah. yeah, hands Hands still go on the club the same way. I mean, the diameter or where the grip goes on obviously doesn't change. And I know we've seen every facet of every imagination of every inventor out there to try and create that wow factor as it would be. But honestly, there's, there's just something about, you know, that auto six-foot feeling. Even if you don't make them all, you feel like you can. And that's, you know, that's something that you, you've harnessed, obviously, in, in some respect. And it's going to be good for every player to, to experience it for sure.
0: All right, well, listen to me. This is what I'm going to this is what I'm gonna do for you. <laughs> I i am so hesitant to switch into that shaft because I'm so scared. But th- I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this switch over the winter. I'm going to oh. go find a blade putter to test with, and I will give this a run over winter golf coming into spring. And I'm going to talk to you in April, Barney, and you'll probably hear a different tune out of my, out of my mouth. I'm going to yeah, make this it's... full transition.
4: And, and let me tell you a couple of things that are going to happen.
0: Please. one is
4: you could put that shaft in and putt like garbage you're
0: uh, a human being could <laughs> happen
4: stuff, stuff happens uh, it, it's not magic it's not it's not auto hit or some of the stuff you read about the stupid ads that they run all the time for golf equipment it's it. Is, uh, we know it's better uh your distance control is one of the things that you will actually experience uh, that happens to be my favorite thing is i've I feel like I got much better control over my distance, but it's, you know, I tell people that you can put that shaft in and putt worse, but eventually you will putt better. We know that.
0: Hmm. I, what I do want to touch on though, to kind of transition off that, as a I know we're listening into the, some tech talk right now, and we're obviously talking to someone that really, really knows clubs. I, I kind of want to go into your opinions on. Today's game and the technology that's used, not even just in the professional side of the game, but even the amateur side. Um, just go straight into it with the distance problem. Um, okay. what what is your opinion on like the technology in the game today, in clubs today, and what we're seeing in the distances in the professional and amateur game?
4: Well, there's a it's kind of a longish answer to that. Uh, in first place, let's we'll talk about professional golfs. Because that's the great influencer, right? Professional golf. Professional golf is a television show. Yep. You have to understand that. It's a TV show. And that means that the people that are spending millions of dollars putting these shows on have marketing experts analyzing the reaction of the people who watch. They do algorithms. They do statistical evaluations and so on. So what appeals, what's going to get the guy to, to say, hey, Charlie, you got to watch this with me. This is really great. What What's going to increase the viewership, which is a win-win for everybody? Distance. One word answer, distance. Okay, distance sells. They're not going to spend – I mean, how much time do you spend watching a tournament, unless the guy's in the lead or you know, something like that, watching the uh, a sample of the field knocking in five-footers? Sorry, not going to happen. It's boring television, okay, but a guy in a bomb – you know, sailing it over the gallery, and you know, God knows whatever, blah blah blah. That's exciting stuff. So, I don't think you're going to see it like people talking about dialing that back. Uh, I'm not so sure. The uh, and, and the, in, the fir- in, in the first place, you got guys out there making a living, or gals. The gals are the one that killed me. They got this, you know, lovely, slender, 128 pound uh, uh, Korean gal. And she steps on the tee and hits at two eighty five. I've, I've been after Golf Digest. I said, "You got to do a story. Well, what's going on? How do they hit it so far?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. Trust me. I know how it works: the club head speed, et cetera, etc., etc. But they're hitting the ball two hundred eighty five yards or longer. Some of them. Now, what? What are they? They're more efficient than most of the men. Mm-hmm. How, how do they do this? And I, I still think that would be a, a you know, for the for, for the nut cases, for the aficionados, that would be an interesting story. I mean, what they're obviously doing is hitting the ball exactly in the center of mass on a regular basis, which most of us don't do. If we have enough speed, you can get away with slight hits off the center of mass and still hit it the long way. I don't think they do. <laughs> I mean, I, they get like zero vibration in every hit. And everything is just perfect, just coming off the middle of the club.
0: That is so, an interesting story. We're not talking about the ladies enough when it comes to the distance problem. That is a really good point.
3: There are like robots out there on the LPGA. Yeah. It's hilarious. And
0: it's the most relatable to the average golfer, especially when you look it's at the like actual yeah, yardages. Closer, like, yeah. that is yeah. like especially when you look at irons, like they're hitting the same yardage on most single digit iron or like single digit male golfers. And it's oh, like yeah. why are yeah, we not but, talking about that? I mean, they're still hitting it as far far than us, some of them, and it's like well, you, you can't compare yourself to the PJ like you're saying that's a TV product that's it's, that's how
3: you go though I think a little bit right yeah but there's always
0: <laughs> that guy that thinks he can hit at 350 because he caught it downhill downwind one time and now he thinks he's a monster so, 352
3: you know, buddy yeah 352. Okay. yeah, yeah. 54. <laughs> that's, I mean 54.
0: technically speaking uh, what's interesting
4: is you know while well, we think that the, the drivers are better they're not the ball back in back in 2008 the USGA gave us a set of specifications for driver design, spring effect, which is a big thing, okay? That's 2008. Back then, we were right on top of the specs anyway. I mean, there it wasn't much of the good change. You, you can't make the face that much thinner. It'll it'll collapse at impact anyway. Mm-hmm. So the, the, what what you can do with the driver's like if, if, you, if you're a high ball hitter, let's say, I could combine the spin rate of the golf ball and the launch angle off the driver and maybe pick you up some yardage. That's what happens when you're working with the tour players. It has about zero effect on Joe average, but it makes for great ads on television and, I'm, oh my God, I got this new driver and I'm hitting the ball 15 yards further and so on and so forth. The golf ball itself is what you see today if you stop and think about it, that's different uh, than years ago is the long fade. Fades used to be soft shots that didn't go as far. If you hit a fade off the tee, you were playing for position. It wasn't a long ball. The long balls were hooks that hit the ground, turned over, and rolled a long way. The problem with hooks is sometimes you can't, they don't listen. You know, they they get away from you. And so you watch today, you know, the, the Kepkas and, and so on, they're hitting these monster 350-yard fades, and that never happened before. And that's a combination of the, of the surface of the golf ball, the spin rates that they get, and the fact that the fades don't uh, – the, the, the old fades used to just – I can't explain them properly, but they just sat down softly, but these fades roll out. And that's a that's more of a golf ball thing. You've got bet, much better condition fairways. What's the average rollout on tour? I don't know. Some of them, it looks like it's forever. I mean, yes. yeah. ball, or week, or just goes, seven goes, go seven to ten days. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of my one of my friends that's a, a course designer says that the, one of the biggest factors is the triplex mower. Mm. It's made the fairways much more consistent, uh, much more you know receptive to having the ball roll out. So there's a combination of things, and you can't put your finger on, on any one thing. The ones that I get a kick out of, you know, what's he got? The outdoors, say, what's he guys got? got uh, Two thirty six to the green. Yeah, I think he's hitting a six iron, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> <laughs> now I realize the way you make irons go longer. Okay, you move the center of gravity back and down. The ball goes up in the air more, so you reduce the loft. You know it's very good you know the 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 uh eight iron that i play with today used to be a five iron that's why it goes further everything's jacked up yeah but i don't think you'll see a big change i know it's being talked about a lot but the television programs are doing pretty well guys you know and if it ain't broke don't fix it
1: Mm -hmm.
4: what the heck
2: i was reading today actually that PGA Tour is trying to get a little more integrated in with the sports gambling side to start showing live odds while people are playing through one of their partners, which I think just adds to that, like, this is a TV show, right? Like, it's WWE to an extent, and it's like we've kind of speculated about this whole Brooks E. Bryson thing that's going on that, like, is this truly real or is this, like, the player impact program television machine at work here or like what's that look like but it is interesting that it is totally just it's entertainment there's a it is it, 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 coming it, out.
4: It, it, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that by right. the way there, there's nothing wrong with that at all i don't know about the dechambeau brooks thing i my personal opinion for what it's worth is that whatever it was it was, it was certainly blown up more than a you know reality and so on these are you know come on these are golfers it, it is it isn't going to happen now they're on they were on the Ryder Cup together, and now they're okay. hugging and kissing and everything is
0: wonderful. And there's going to so be a 12-hole match against them the on the match, <laughs>
4: Thanksgiving. So like, and, and, by, and by the way, that's what you're seeing.
0: Yeah.
3: What
4: are you seeing is that television trying to figure out ways to increase this, the television exposure, sell more ads,
3: get more gambling money, et we're, cetera, et cetera. We're talking about it right now, so obviously it works, yeah. right? And
2: what's, got me hooked. What is interesting for you had television companies, too, like we got – the honor of talking to Chris Solomon from no laying up. And he's like, when a lot of companies are looking at the value of an audience, it's like the golf audience is normally factored at like five times more value than anyone else because of how committed we are to our sport. Usually the disposable income of those golfing. So it's like, yeah, you expect to see more of this stuff targeting this market so that bigger conversions, they can capitalize on the dollars, Mm -hmm. which
4: is why major companies pay players, big money, they carry a bag with their name on it. Mm-hmm. Same thinking.
3: Yeah, Love that. Uh Barney, we're gonna do something fun to wrap up the show here. But David, you got something real quick?
1: No, I'm good. I'm good. I was just gonna ask about the Adams tour and if you had any involvement with that back in the day or if that was something that was just my um, just
4: just my name.
1: Yeah, nothing
4: okay. else. Yeah, you nothing else. Uh, Barney, let, what, let, let me what? ask you guys a question. Can I ask you yeah, guys a question? Let's do it. I'm gonna, it. Ask, I'm gonna ask it anyway, whether you say yes or no.
0: Well,
4: <laughs> so you guys are all golf knowledgeable, right?
0: like to believe so. Ish.
4: okay okay so is it fair to say that shaft flex is important uh
0: yeah i think that's been okay. one of the bigger changes in the game in my opinion actually like fitting someone okay Especially with
1: the that, you guys agree
4: agree is
1: that a fair. i'm view? i mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of opinions yeah. on this because i'm me and chris talked about this i've played tour x and x and heavy shafts my whole life and I got fitted for a 55 gram X shaft, and they're saying I'm pretty much into like a 6.0. Which I've hit a couple, you know, stiff shafts, and the feel and everything like that, and the weight just feels so much better in a lighter shaft for me. And maybe it's because I'm getting older and maybe fatter, but at the same time, I just I feel like you know I'm kind of questioning a lot of the things that I've sort of believed the last ten years. So I'm when you
4: uh, uh, and I'm going to change the subject here. For, when you uh we're fitted for that. How many balls you hit?
1: Uh, I hit seven or eight with my own driver and seven or eight, uh, with that shaft. Okay. So that's a lousy job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Need to hit
3: 50 at least. Maybe no. 100. It
4: just, it just, the other, just the other way around.
3: One Two. less. Two. Two balls.
4: I'm fitting you. That's correct. You're all warmed up. You're ready to go. Yada, yada, right? Driver. Okay, I've got maybe four drivers there for you to hit. You get two balls with each driver. The first one is more psychological than anything else because it's different. The one that I count data-wise is the second one. Now, why? Because I am there to fit you. You are not there to adjust to something that I have. Beyond two, you're starting to adjust. So you get two.
2: Okay. Interesting. I like that. Keep it fresh and yeah, don't let them well, kind of it, adjust.
4: It, It's fitting. It's like it's like clothes, you know. If you 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 put on a suit coat, let's say. If it's if it fits you, it fits you. If it doesn't fit you, it doesn't fit you. Now you can alter it and make it fit you. Hmm. But you get you get two swings with me. Interesting. For what it's worth. Now go back to my other question about chaff The most popular iron in the history of golf was the ping i2 ping i2 grandma played them grandpa played them strong college kids played them everybody played them every ping i2 made in the history of time had an x shaft in it hmm. so much for the flex. cushion
1: the cushion shaft or whatever
4: i don't uh, know but it was an x it was an x flex okay so well, wait a minute how does how does grandma play an x flex and her nephew who goes to college and then stronger in health? Play the
0: same shift. Speechless. But come I, on, I, I thought the, you guys. I did think that's a, that's, a diff, that's a different kind of <laughs> time though, because you're not really analyzing the data like you are now, where you can really dive into spin rates and the dispersion so much, like so much closer than you could back in the day.
3: I think and that's wrong, probably. I don't,
0: I don't know, man. Like, I mean, you surely if a kid's hitting an X shaft, you're going to see something that's out of whack.
4: I'm gonna say grandma hit, and, and he's hitting the next to grandma, and she's hitting the next
2: shift Were these club heads offset, and maybe it's just more about getting the They're, club. They were big eye they,
1: they were come on, those, those, those are classics. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think it's more important about. I've decided. I've decided.
1: am sticking with extra stiff shafts. <laughs> 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 Why? Because grandma goal. hit him. <laughs> I Carson, might go. I might go the other way.
4: Interesting. It's kind of interesting. Now, I I knew Carsten just a little bit. I can't say that I knew him well. Um. But I know that he was, ironically, for the neighbor of our punter, he was a great believer in stability. He did not want the shaft having any motion that was not directed to delivering it back to the golf ball. I mean, the shaft does not produce any distance. The shaft is a, is a delivery mechanism, and it's up to you to be efficient with the delivery mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so he, to, to, to obtain that, he put, he demanded, I mean, that was, it was his business, of course, but everything had an X shaft, which ironically isn't terribly different than what we're doing with a putter shaft. Now I'm not trying to compare us to the pink eye too or anything like that. And I'm not saying that also that shafts aren't much better made now and you can, you can combine a flex that feels better and so on. But I, 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 I have a little problem sometimes when I listen to these flex experts that are always telling me about, the flex of the shaft and the kick point and by the way there is no such thing as kick point but that's another conversation and you know all the wonderful things that that they, they can do and i asked them the ping question and they like they can't answer it and the the other uh benefit that the ping clubs gave is they were all the same so you adjusted to them and that's a big deal you can't underestimate the human factor
3: so is it just an adjustment in swing weight then barney is that the sort of the x factor <laughs> or was it all pretty standard across the board
4: his swing weights were actually his swing weights were uh, c8 and c9 and his
3: oh, not even but, D's, so lighter even
4: a little bit lighter yeah interesting yeah.
3: we need to change the name of this podcast to debunking all the theories in golf with barney adams <laughs> straight up <I> like
2: that. <laughs> which brings me to my next question about shafts yeah like I remember growing up, there was that like myth of don't ever get a graphite shaft in your iron because uh-huh. there's a lot less consistency and stability mm-hmm. in it. Where uh, there was,
4: point, and there wasn't in those days. That's a good point.
2: And has that evolved to the point? Because like I have graphite recoil shafts in one set of my irons that won't be named mm-hmm. necessarily, but after playing a year of steel shaft, hundred and five grams stiffs, like I think I've decided like I'm a graphite shaft guy. Like I, I just like the weight and the feel of it is that technology uh,
4: sure. well, races for horses guys there, there's yep. no absolutes you know i'm just the opposite i'm 82 and i still play steel and i've tried to play graphite because i can't hit it any place you know it's very frustrating so i keep looking at a graphite shaft that i could swing faster theoretically etc except i can't it doesn't work mm-hmm. you know i get them uh now you can you can same old story you can take a, a graphite shaft to the range and hit you know 20 or 30 balls or 40 balls and you'll along the line, but you might hit one or two that, you know, he's like, wow, that, that's me. The only problem is I get to play one at a time. Right. <laughs> so it isn't me when I get out in the golf course and I just, I've, I've tried to make the switch and I can't do it.
2: Okay.
3: I like that. This is a lot of good nuggets. Barney, we're going to close out the show with a little segment. We like to call rapid fire 10. So we're going to ask you 10 skill testing questions rapidly and probably not so rapidly because we'll dive into some stuff but when you're ready let us know let it rip Here we go rapid fire tan with barney adams first question mr adams what did you have for breakfast today
2: eggs just oh, yeah. eggs how'd you have them
4: i had an omelet with all kinds of junk in it all right maybe hey, like meat and cheese and stuff like that i live i live on eggs i eat probably Oh, at least a dozen and a half to two dozen eggs a week. You're,
0: you're talking to another egg lover. I had mine with hummus, hot sauce, and avo this morning. I like that accent, too. <laughs> Nice, eh?
3: Hummus. Hummus. Very nice. Question number two, Barney. Is that is that an, is that an Irish golfer? <laughs> Never mind. Something. <laughs> Scottish. Lithuanian. How did, you,
2: how did you end up saying hummus
3: like yeah. that?
0: Because I traveled with this Israeli dude, and whenever I said hummus, he's like, that's not how you he's say it. He corrected you. Hummus.
3: He slapped yeah. you. <laughs> I right. like the
0: way he, it comes Full on pee-pee it. slap.
3: Uh, question number two, Barney. What's in the bag currently? What are we swinging for wrenches? Walk us through top to bottom.
4: Uh, old Adams Club. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs>
3: ding, ding. We yeah, knew that was coming. You
4: know, listen, I've hit everything. I mean, I I would switch tomorrow. I mean, Adams Company is sold. It's long, you know, it's history and so on and so forth. But, you know, they look good and they, I, they hit just as good as anything else I can find. So I just play them.
3: I like that. I was almost
2: hoping you said Ping eyed too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was, well, I was I, expecting something. I, I, ping. I,
4: I have a, I do have, I have a Ping driver that I like a lot, Ooh. and uh, I, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a Ping fan. I think they're a very solid company to make good stuff.
3: By oh. the way, question number three: Fashion is such a hot topic in golf these days. Barney, are you an outfit guy? Do you get dressed in the dark? Do you care what you look like? What's your go-to?
4: No, I have uh, about. 20 or 30 pairs of tan shorts, and I've got about 15 or 20 red shirts. That's it.
3: We might have to get your address off air and shoot you over some Cricket gear. Cricket is a company out of Texas making some really nice stuff, so sponsor of the show. Parksy's shirt
2: is actually a nice little Cricket yes, business looks, casual looks pretty shirt. With some
0: tan pants, actually. Go well with your shorts. (laughs) We've heard that (laughs) before. Not even a lie. (laughs) We've heard that before.
3: We've heard that a lot. Question number four. Barney, what's your warm-up routine looking like these days? Obviously, we're not prepping for a tour event, but is there anything methodical you go through on the range? You just bang a couple drivers, go straight to the tee? Do you like to warm up with some putts? What's that warm-up routine look
4: like? Well, first, I I have a couple stretching exercises I do, but, again, I've had uh, back surgery I've had uh, hip surgery. I've had knee surgery. I've had heart surgery. Uh, I, I've had forty-eight thousand different uh, uh, applications of things to fix a bad back. Okay. So you, you really can't go by me. You know, I can, I can. only warm up so far that the pain exceeds anything that I'm trying to accomplish. So I'll generally hit a couple of wedges, and then I'll go right to the driver and just to loosen up with the driver or fairway wood. Hit you know three or four of those, and then go play.
2: Have you ever experienced percussive massage therapy there, Barney? Yeah. Oh, wow. Therabody. I,
4: I, yeah. I, I, I have, as a matter of fact. What was it, your take I on I got that? It.
2: We're going to get you a, yeah, we're gonna get a like unit those, shipped out to yeah, you. Yeah, here those after little the show. handheld those
4: guns. Go, yeah, I, I'm looking at one.
3: Okay. Perfect.
1: I like that. We'll get you a Therabody, another sponsor of the show. Yeah, Shout
3: out well, we'll light you up here with some good stuff, a uh, little payback.
2: Has it helped you at all? I'd be interested to know, do you, do you feel better after well, using it, it? It's going to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm being a wise ass here, but <laughs> that's okay.
4: At, at this age, you deteriorate. And if you're, if you, if you're slowing the rate of deterioration, you may not be cognizant of it, but it's a good thing.
3: Mm-hmm. This, so is good, I can tell you. this is a good segue into question number five. We're feeling the pain. We're coming off nine. We're going to 10. We're looking for a snack at the turn. What's our go-to? Are we a six-pack of beer and a pack of cigarettes kind of guy? Are you looking for a protein and a water? What's the go-to? Maybe a hot dog?
2: Chicken
4: salad. Water and a a Snickers bar. Oh. I like
3: that. Snickers bar is my energy bar. Fight your hunger with a Snickers. I like that. Honestly, I'll pull
2: that move, too. I'll just dip into the little 7-Eleven, get a drink, and I'll be like, yeah, Snickers. Snickers. Give me some of that peanut, chocolate, delight.
3: Love it. Question number six on the rapid fire. Not so rapid fire. Told you uh barney adams how many holes in one have you had nine only nine only nine do we remember them all vividly
0: no where was the best one
3: yeah give us the best one
4: at pine valley number number three
3: okay like that when
2: was your last one
4: but uh but i will tell you this i've lost count now at one time i'd seen over 45
3: oh god probably some probably some violent ugly ones in the mix
4: and I Oh, yeah, I've seen them bounce off of trees. I've seen them, I mean, you name it. I've seen them back into the hole. <laughs> I've just seen them, you know, you just can't imagine. Just 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 a weird thing. I I might be half a hole away looking in that direction and watching the ball go, bounce off a tree, and go in the hole, which, which I've seen happen.
3: I love it. Question number seven. Uh, have you played golf in Canada?
4: Yes, I have.
3: Anything stand out, a favorite golf course, or a place that you spent some time?
4: No, I played with, uh, Lauren Rubenstein. You probably know the name you know that a name. very close. Yeah. Real close friend of mine.
3: Does he still have I the hair? Know.
4: Yeah. I, you know, I don't even remember where we played to be honest with you. It was, it was quite a while ago. There's and a high probability. The, it was
1: maple downs. Could have
4: Honestly, I got for the, for the, for the 10 years that Adam's golf developed, I probably didn't play three, four rounds a year. I
3: worked. You were working. I, love oh, that.
4: I, I, haven't, I haven't played a lot of golf courses is what I'm saying.
3: That's all right. You're playing the good ones. That, that's what counts. Question number eight, the dream fivesome, cliche question. We have to ask everybody. It's always interesting to get a take on who people would love to have some time on the golf course with. So we'll give you four picks. You're going to play a five ball. Club's going to allow it today. Who's your four go-to players?
4: That's a good question. See, there's two answers to that question. Um, One of uh, uh,
2: I'm sorry to answer the answer in the other the
4: way i do it when i have guests here at my house uh i don't have a television uh, to promote conversations i love that uh, and, and, and the question that i ask is you can talk to any three people since the beginning of time who would you talk to and why so if i blend that into your question mm-hmm. you can get some pretty serious answers going back to you know, the origin, the species and on and on and on. Yeah. Or, or you can have, you know, your athletic heroes or movie star heroes or, you know, whatever it is. I, I'd pick my dad. I never got it. He died at 52. So I never got a punch to play with him. And he was a pretty good player. Um, Becky was a very good player. I would pick, uh, I don't. I don't know who I would pick.
2: Like uh, since the beginning of time, like, would you pick?
3: We've had like, ex-wives in the mix. We've had comedians in the mix. Tom, yeah, like you could go back to Moses if you really wanted to. <laughs> we had the cast like, of well, Seinfeld. Cast of Seinfeld what was, was the, the best oh, one yeah. we had.
4: Yeah. What was what was Moses handicap? I don't know what it was. Probably, <laughs> probably yeah. scratch. Well, he, he never was lost He's <laughs> yeah, he pretty good out of the water. He's pretty
3: good out of the water.
4: Yeah. Might yeah, have been. Might have been really good.
3: <laughs> we'll leave that. We'll leave uh, that one open. Hey, you for put that
2: in the water. Let's go get it. I don't have a good...
4: I I just like to play with guys who understand the game. That's a big deal with me. People that know where to stand, how to get around the golf course. We'll play. Of course, we ride carts now. We're old, old people, but the guys I play with, we play eighteen holes and no, oh, maybe two and a half hours, two forty-five if we got
0: oh. if the course is old. It's going. an underrated skill so that's, that's missed in the new new world of the, of golf. Yeah. So the
2: new so new, if, as
4: long as I'm
0: playing with people I like and they know how to play golf,
2: uh, then I'm happy. What's like your take that. on gimme's? Pick them up. <laughs> yeah. What's good? Well, What's no. good in your, you got your
3: a BGT world? shaft? You can <laughs> make that putt. There's no gimme's.
4: Yeah. Here's the problem with gimme's. I want them all. When you don't Do they get, get gimme? They get, <laughs> they get, they get, uh, they, you take advantage of the, of the situation, you know, the next thing you know, they're not going to weigh a five footer or something. Yeah, and I've, seen I've seen that. Seen, I've seen recently, that all the time.
3: Seen that recently. I did it four times
0: on Sunday. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, you yeah, know so that. That, that?
4: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that kind of goes back to the, what I just said before. The guys that I'm playing with, we know how to do it. You know, we know what a gimme is, we know uh, how to move around and so on. And that, that, that's my favorite for I
3: love it. Question number nine the rapid fire, not so rapid fire. What is your most memorable experience on the golf course? One thing that stands out that maybe crafted your you know, future or changed your thought perspective or gave you a little appreciation for something? It's a hard one. Well, I
4: shot, six, I shot 64 once in a tournament. Wow. And I still, rem- I still remember that because that's way better than I'd ever done before <laughs> since.
3: Hell, yeah. That's, a, um, that's an excellent round.
4: Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty slick. I think the, the best experience golf has been – I mean, I, I grew up working on farms for $2 a day, uh, just manual labor, et cetera. I went to college where I got the most financial aid. Uh, was, were, I don't like to use the word poor, but we certainly weren't a wealthy family by any stretch. Golf has provided me with access to people that I never would have. I mean, I play golf with the president of the United States I play golf with movie stars. I play golf with, you David. It. and it's it's all because it's not because of me. It's all because of golf. So, that's uh, how I remember it.
3: Case in point, this conversation tonight is provided by golf, which by is golf, fantastic. For is it, golf, yeah, it's a weird yeah, ecosystem I've, I've, of glue and connective tissue, really.
4: Yeah, it really is. And I've talked to lots of different people, and you know, and I and not and that so
0: yes.
3: Yeah, it's a great equalizer. Uh, one final question. I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Pace to close us out.
0: All right, Barney, I'd like oh. you to answer this. Um, Commissioner of golf for the day, what is the one thing you'd like to see change in the game? I'd ban the arm lock. <laughs> Hell <laughs> yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Anchored, baby. <laughs> I think it's anchoring, yeah. I agree uh-huh. with you. Wow, that's <laughs> that's feisty. Going I for, like going that.
3: Going for coup right out of the gate.
0: Get Bryce. Sorry. Get I'm sorry, but if they're going
4: to, I mean, to me, the either ban the arm lock or
0: bring back the belly putter, get,
4: get, get away from this stupid, you know, you have to have your hand away from your chest because most of those guys touch, touch their chest anyway. Yep. It's just, it just, you know, that decision was fostered by the RNA because they thought it looked ungainly.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: It wasn't a technical reason. They just didn't like the way it looked.
2: It was unbecoming
4: unbecoming exactly yeah but the if
3: everybody work. was winning that way and guys were making more putts wouldn't more guys be doing it but
2: guys didn't
0: win the, more putts. the Guys lock. didn't win every event we're doing it It ruined people's careers yeah like, look at guys yeah. like freddie yeah he's like at, i can't putt- practice putting look at uh i
4: mean adam scott who i think is one of the most beautiful oh. golf swings there is alive and his putting has suffered because of not being able to use it and so on. anyway you're just asking me what i would do uh i would uh i would revert i would i would get away from my arm lock i would i would i would actually i'm kind of a i guess i'm kind of a purist at heart but i would kind of go back to you know pure, use the phrase pure golf
3: love it i like that yeah
0: uh, sounds like a very tight line decision right there
3: great comment i gotta uh, throw an audible in here real quick because you're a purist in every sense of the form, and you're super knowledgeable and go way back in, in the depths of golf, what's your take on pros playing in shorts? Final question of the evening.
4: You know who would answer that question better than I would? Huh? The, the people, the people studying the professional television shows, you know, doing the algorithms and so on. How does the audience like it? Does the audience not like it? It's a business. You're asking me a. a, a a question that affects a business and you've got to do a business analysis to get a good answer.
3: Okay. true. A good point. Like People that. do love Phil's little, calves little, though. Yeah. Activation a, little, uh, a little
1: homework there, MVP index, a little homework. I get on my calculator. Well, my
4: goal, my goal <laughs> of life is never to wear long pants again. If that tells you anything, oh,
3: that's go. mine too. There we go. I like I hate it. Pants. Yeah, Love that. No pants on the next pod, Barney. Barney I,
2: quickly. Sorry. No pants, no problems over here. I just want to quickly remind our guests of your book and BGT Golf Shafts. Let them know where they can find all of that stuff.
4: The book is old. I think you got to get it online and stuff. I don't even know. Oldie, but it's old. It's about six or seven years old.
2: That's not that old. And then BGTShafts.com, is that where people go? go?
4: You go to the website and ask them. Okay. (laughs) Don't don't ask me how because I don't know how to do it.
3: (laughs) Touche. He's not (laughs) developing the algorithm in the background. Awesome. No, he just knows the sorry. tech side. Love it.
0: Well, Barney, thanks so much for jumping on with us, man. We really appreciate this, and honestly, like, we'd love to have you back on again because I think we go deeper into a lot more topics. Oh, that, yeah. uh, I think we just scratched the surface today.
4: You, you, you guys, are I, I perfectly free to do as much homework as you want, and then have a repeat, you know, deal.
3: Let's do it.
0: Maybe
4: a maybe a live show.
3: Yeah. Punt no Valley. TV
4: roundtable. <laughs> I, I don't do listen. As long as I don't have to get out of my chair, I don't care what the hell you.
0: Because we were thinking doing it at your place. <laughs> yeah, we mind. just we'll bring our own chairs, <laughs> we'll make it own. Real easy you know, I don't idea. even.
4: I, I don't even go there. I'm, you, you, I tell you what, you, you guys would love it. I'm out in the Cali- I'm out in Indian Wells, California, in the middle of the desert. Oh, Even we were, we got, we got a Canadians all over the place. That's Arnie, the, we, were just,
3: we were just down there. Played the vintage, played the quarry, stayed on property with Cory. Really? My buddy owns two restaurants in Palm Desert right off Highway 111 and Cat City, Katuki. Go see them. Greek restaurants. You'll love it. I'll send yeah. you an email with the info. Oh, I,
4: I, I live next door to the vintage, as a matter of fact.
3: There you go. Well, we're going to tee it up next time, then, and do a yeah, little come chat. Come on down. Beautiful. Come on
4: down. Or... or- Colorado that's where I go in the summertime there okay. you go
3: Castle okay. Pines or where is your
4: Aspen Colorado. no down the road from Castle Pines in Colorado Springs okay
3: okay I like that
2: yeah. and just quickly I wanted to let people know it's breakthroughgolftech.com is there the website go. so beautiful correct. Yeah. there we go go
3: check it out make yourself a believer
2: beautiful
0: well thanks again Barney appreciate the time
2: okay guys
4: uh-huh. bye-bye bye-bye